what I wanted to start with today is going back to our heart and where that's at with God and how the ministry comes out of that. And it's the passion you're talking about because what really comes across to the next generation is what's in your life. They need to see it in you before they really make it a part of their lives. One of the things that God really convicted Aaron and I of a lot last year was to make our number one ministry priority our personal walks. So not just like a, we need to have a quiet time, but I'm going to pursue God passionately on a daily basis, connecting with him on a level that this relationship is vibrant, it's real, it's passionate, and it's what drives my life. And if I'm connecting with God at that level, then the ministry is going to come out of that the way it needs to be. If I'm not connecting with God on that level, the ministry's just in vain. It's not going to be what it needs to be. Even if I'm doing all the right process, nothing's going to truly be multiplied into the next generation if I'm not where I need to be with God. Ephesians 3, 7 through 8 says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So twice he says that this ministry that he has was a gift, was God's grace to him. And I think one of the things that we can be tempted to think at times is almost as I serve God, I'm doing God a favor. And we ever thought that? We almost start to think we're a different level of Christian because we serve God or, or we're somehow special because we're serving God. And what Paul is saying here is the fact that I can actually even be in a ministry of any sort is just God's gift to me. I think a lot of times we can have this tendency to think that if we're in ministry, we're, we're something special. We all deal with this. And Paul just says, I'm just a servant of this gospel and it's God's grace to me. It's God's gift to me. I don't deserve to be able to be in this ministry it's just God's grace that he's put me here. And I think when we come to it with that attitude, and not with an attitude of entitlement, that's when the passion develops. When I come at the ministry with an attitude of entitlement, that's when pride develops and that's when burnout happens. Because I'm, I'm starting to think I deserve more people than this. I need more results than this. When I come just saying this is God's grace to me, I realize whatever happens, whether it's big or small, whether it's great or whether it's unnoticed, this is God's grace to me, and this is part of my walk with God. In Matthew 3.11, I think this is the only story that's mentioned five times in the Gospels. I could be wrong on that. In Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.7, Luke 3.16, John 1.27, and Acts 13.25, the story is told of John the Baptist, how John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals about Jesus. And the reason I think that that story is mentioned five times is it illustrates the heart that God wants us to have. This ministry is not happening because of me. This is God's grace to me. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal. But he's called me his co-laborer in 1 Corinthians 3.9. He's made me a co-worker with him. It's a joy. It's a treasure. It's, it's something I don't deserve. In Acts 5.41, Peter and the apostles said that they counted themselves worthy, that they could suffer for Christ. That, that's an amazing thought. They weren't thinking, I deserve some huge ministry. They were blown away that God would count them worthy of suffering for him. And all these things kind of bring me to the point of realizing that this ministry is not about the results. It's not about me. God gives us vision for ministry and all this, and this is great. But that's second to the main focus of the ministry, which is just him and growing close to him. And then stepping out as he calls me every day. And this is what's really interesting, guys. In John 15:14, it says that if we are his friends, we're going to do what he commands. And what's unique about this, guys, or what's so interesting about this, is that doing what's close to God's heart develops intimacy with him. 
when you do things together as a married couple that you each enjoy, there's a level of intimacy there that isn't there when you're not doing those things together. For Aaron and I, when Aaron does something that's close to my heart, it really develops a closeness. Whether it's going fishing with me or something that I enjoy to do, it develops a closeness that wouldn't be there if she wasn't doing something that was special to me. And the same vice versa. It's the same thing with God. When we're serving God, it's developing a closeness with God that you only experience serving God. You only experience that in serving Him. Paul said in Philippians 3, 7 through 9, nothing else compares with that closeness that I have with God. And this is the thing, not even ministry. Our pastor frequently says, don't let the ministry become your mistress. And that's so true. As Christians, we can get so focused on the ministry that we forget our Savior. And instead of just letting the ministry be an aspect of our relationship with him and our fellowship with him. And that's what he desires. In Mark six thirty through 31 it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. So they're telling him, this is what we did for you. They're describing their ministry. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat. You guys ever feel like that in the ministry? You're talking about that. Feeling worn out at times in the ministry. So much is happening, they don't even have time to eat, it says. So they're, they're in the thick of it. They're busy, they're worn out, no time, they're burnt out. And then what does Jesus say? He says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That was where he encountered them in their place of busy ministry. He said, you need to get away with me alone, just you and I, and connect with me. And I think this is the foundation for ministry, that connection with him. The greatest ministry activity you can do, again, is connecting with him. Deuteronomy 10.9, this, this shocked me. Aaron and I are reading through the word together this year. And we read this verse and it blew my mind. It's actually all through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They all mention this. But Deuteronomy 10.9 says, That is why the Levites have no share or inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as the Lord your God told them. The Levites had been given this responsibility of serving as God's priesthood or serving God. Kind of the same way we are. We are in we're now in that same capacity serving God. And God said the Levites, they don't get an inheritance. He described the inheritance for every other tribe of Israel. He said, but the Levites, they don't get anything because I'm their inheritance. And this is what's so interesting. As you're in, in full-time ministry, you might not get a big house or a house. <laughs> you might not get the nice car. You might not get the fame. You might not get what so many people around you are getting. But what's awesome that's not your inheritance. God is your inheritance. He's what you get. And you get a closer relationship with him than anybody else gets just by virtue that you're doing what's close to his heart, out of a heart for him. That's what we get out of ministry. And that, to me, is such a joy. The ministry does not exist for what I can accomplish. It exists, I think, primarily to draw me closer to him and to renew in me that heart for him. In Jeremiah thirty twenty one, God puts it this way. He says, Who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? Who is he who will devote himself to be close to me? That's got to be my heart. In Psalm 119.10, David told God, I seek you with all my heart. I don't think I can honestly say that. I seek you with all my heart. What does all my heart mean? I don't think I could honestly say that I've ever sought God with all my heart. Where he comes before anything, nothing distracts me from him. He is all I desire. Sometimes I feel like I've sought the ministry with all my heart. I've desired to accomplish and and desire to start things rolling. And I think for the right motives, I think I genuinely want people to come to Christ. But still, that's not the same as seeking Him with all my heart. And see, I want to get to that place where I can say, I seek you with all my heart. 
nothing else compares to you. Like uh, Paul said, everything else is trash compared to knowing you and being found in you. Nothing else matters. And see, that's the place God wants me in ministry. That's the passion you were talking about. And that is contagious. When I have that passion in my life, when I have that fellowship with God daily, the people I'm discipling, they catch that. They see that. They're not going to learn that from lesson number three. They're going to learn that by seeing it in my life. And when they see that in my life, then the ministry starts to happen the way God wants it to happen. If they don't see that in my life, it's just a house of cards. It's not going to be happening the way God wants it to happen. Isaiah 40:31 promises those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And see, that's what's so beautiful. As God becomes just my everything in ministry, as drawing near to him daily becomes the most important focus of my life, he refreshes me. He re-energizes me. He restores me. And all the rest of what we're talking here, whether it's too much for us to handle or whether it's not too much for us to handle, he restores me in it. He refreshes me in it to a point where I can serve him. And it's not burning me out, but it's a joy. It's drawing me near to him, and it's becoming the greatest joy in my life. And I can just put it like this from personal experience. When we first came on staff, it was a very hard year. Right, Russ? It was probably one of the hardest years Russ has seen in many years of ministry. It was definitely the hardest year we've seen. Gossip, slander, everything kind of falling apart and there were great stories there were wonderful things that happened but it was a very hard year for all of us what is so wonderful is that even when the ministry drags me down he can be my energy he can be what sustains me and what we found last year was when he is everything when all i care about is him last year aaron and i went into the semester and we were burned out at the end of last year we were really burned out i think at the end of the first three years so before the last school year started uh, going into it, we just felt kind of just burnt out. It was just nonstop gossip, it seemed, and just a lot of hard stuff. And a lot of our leadership students even had, had terrible attitudes. We couldn't get them to the leadership students. If you put leadership meeting, everybody'd be there. Anything else, they wouldn't be there. It's like they were so proud they would only come to something if it said leadership on it. So we said, we need to start calling our Bible studies leadership meetings because <laughs> then we'll get our students there. And we need to, we do half nights of prayer with the students. So we said, we need to call half night of prayer a leadership meeting because then they'll all show up. And then we need to call leadership meeting half night of prayer. And then the real leaders are going to show up because <laughs> they want to pray. But we went in to last year saying, forget about that. We're focusing on God. He's going to be our all. He's everything. We're going to pray like never before. We're going to seek him every day like never before. And out of that, last year was just the most joyful year that we've ever seen. And God did so much. But it didn't come out of us just striving and trying to do this. It came out of us just saying, I'm connecting with God on a deeper level today than I did yesterday. I'm drawing nearer to him today than I did yesterday. And see, that's what Jesus said matters. In Luke 10, 38 through 42, Mary and Martha are visited by Jesus. And Martha is a lot like me. She's cooking. She's cleaning. She's type A. Do, 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 do. Got to get it done. What Martha was doing needed to be done, it says. And Mary's just loving Jesus, just connecting with Jesus. Martha comes to Jesus and says, what's the deal? My sister's not helping me. All this stuff needs to get done. Tell her to come help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, he says, Mary's chosen the one thing that matters. And it won't be taken away from her. And see, in ministry, a lot of times we have this tendency, do everything. Do it, do it, do it. Especially 
if you're a leader in ministry, chances are you're driven, you're motivated. And if you're driven and motivated, you have a desire to accomplish. And that's probably all of us in this room. And what Jesus is saying is, forget your ministry. The one thing that matters is me. The one thing that matters is me. Are you going to connect with me or not? Because if you're not, you can do this till you're blue in the face, but it doesn't make any sense. It's pointless. The one thing that matters is focusing on him. In Exodus 19.3, Moses leaves two million people to go and connect with God. Imagine this. Imagine the city of Denver. It's about two million, I think, right? Imagine you have two million people in a desert. They don't have any infrastructure. They don't have any supermarkets. They don't have any water. You have to provide all this for them with God's help. And you just leave them. You go. That's not a very good leadership thing to do. And if we were doing a class on leadership or a seminar on leadership, nobody on this planet would say a good leader neglects the people that are entrusted to him and takes off and does nothing. That would not be a good leadership thing. But Moses leaves them to go connect with God. And the next 13 chapters of Exodus are dictated to Moses by God himself. He's giving him the Ten Commandments and all this other stuff. He comes down, what does he find? The people have lost it. They're out of their minds. To the point where it says they'd become the laughingstock of all the surrounding nations. That's how crazy they'd gotten off track. Moses has a really bad day in the flesh. He grinds up the golden calf, puts it in their water, makes them drink it so they're all getting sick. I don't know if that was what God desired. He's mad, obviously. And then beyond that, he takes the Levites. And he says, go slaughter as many of your brothers as you can in a 24-hour period. And he gets this from God. So maybe there is some of God's divine judgment there. But at the same time, I think Moses was also taken a little bit to the flesh extreme. He goes all out. He's in the flesh. So what happens next? Let me ask you. If you were the leader and you just left for 40 days and the people got that off track 40 days, what are you going to do now? Are you going to leave again or are you going to stay there with them? A good leader is going to stay there with them. You know what Moses does? Moses, in chapter 32, he leaves for another 40 days. Can you believe this? And I think that illustrates the heart God wants us to have in ministry. The ministry gets worse, I need to go connect with God more. As a leader, I think, the ministry gets bad, I better work harder to make it right. And God's saying, no, the ministry gets bad, you connect with me more. Because that's the whole point of it in the first place, is get close to me. So Exodus 32, 31, then 34, 28 through 30, he goes right the opposite way any other rational leader would. He leaves for another 40 days and connects with God again. And that time, it says, he returns, his face is radiant with God's glory, where he's actually visibly different. He's actually visibly changed because he spent that time with God. And now he's at a position where he can really lead those people the way God desires. But it's because he's connecting with God in the first place. He has to be our first ministry commitment. I just want to close with a couple quotes. A 19th century missionary named Henry Martin said, The spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to Christ, the more missionary we become. And that's the point. If I'm trying to do ministry for ministry's sake, I'm dead. If I'm just drawing nearer to Christ daily, I become the minister he wants me to be in the first place. And then in my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers writes, Beware of any work for God which enables you to evade concentration on him. A great many Christian workers worship their work. The one concern of a worker should be concentration on God. And this will mean that all other margins of life, mental, moral, and spiritual, are free with the freedom of a child, a worshiping child, not a wayward child. A worker without this solemn, dominant note of concentration on God is apt to get his work on his neck. 
There is no margin of body, mind, or spirit free. Consequently, he becomes spent out and crushed. There is no freedom, no delight in life. Nerves, mind, and heart are so crushingly burdened that God's blessing cannot rest. But the other side is just as true. When once the concentration is on God, all the margins of life are free and under the dominance of God alone. There is no responsibility on you for the work. The only responsibility you have is to keep in living, constant touch with God and to see that you allow nothing to hinder your cooperation with him. The freedom after sanctification is the freedom of a child. The things that used to keep life pinned down are gone. But be careful to remember that you are freed for one thing only, to be absolutely devoted to your co-worker. We have no right to judge where we should be put or to have preconceived notions as to what God is fitting us for. God engineers everything. Wherever he puts us, our one great aim is to pour out a wholehearted devotion to him in that particular work. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. That's the heart that we need to have. I remember when we were going through some of this gossip and slander. I remember this, Russ? We were talking at the coffee shop, and I told Russ, I'm so sick of this. And Russ said, you seem a little perturbed about what's going on. I said, yeah, I, I am. I can't see any students. He goes, I'm not perturbed. I'm not upset. He goes, why are you upset, Nate? Why are you upset? He's <laughs> kind of teasing me like this. Why are you upset, Nate? Why are you upset? And I just said, I'm just so upset. We are investing so much in these students. Uh, 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 and they're not getting it, you know. He goes, Nate, why are you upset? You know, why are you upset? And he said, if, if God was your focus, you wouldn't be upset right now. If God was your focus, you wouldn't be upset right now. And that was challenging to me. He needs to be in the focus, not this ministry. This ministry is nothing. God could do this ministry through anyone. He doesn't need me. I'm just a vessel. If I'm connecting with him and willing, he'll use me. As soon as I get focused on the ministry more in him, he'll use someone else. All I need to do is focus on him. And you guys, that's what Jesus did with the Father, right? He would never do anything that he did not get from his Father. Every day before the sun rose, he was up spending time with his Father because he knew that connection is the foundation for all the ministry even he did. In the last verse, Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And that's the thing. As he builds the house, and as I just connect with him, he builds it. I can labor as long as I want on my own, and it's in vain until I just connect with him and let him build it. I just need to connect with him. Our hope this week for you here is that, one, you could be encouraged with some new ministry strategy and all this sort of stuff like that. But we hope that you're enjoying this lodge and enjoying the mountains and, and just able to get away, get a change of pace, and connect with each other and with God. And go back maybe a little more refreshed than before you came and able to reach that city and that campus for Christ. So we hope this time will really encourage you a lot. That's all I have.